and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we talk about movies, trailers, TV shows, and more. My name is Ivan, and I'm joined today by my co-host, veteran Fortnite player and survivor of the 2018 Tomato Town Massacre, Emmett. Yeah, that song, I was actually featured in that song. I'm the one who downed his partner. You know what? I was just going on knowyourmeme.com earlier today, and I was like, I wonder who sang that song originally. I had no idea that was you. No, I didn't sing it. I was the one who downed his partner. Oh. Oh. When the, Before they were headed southbound. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, that was me. And then I got out of there. I, I got the down. I didn't get the finish. Jeez. Well, you'll have plenty more chances with this new season, I feel like, as long as you get the hang of it. It's, 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 a, it's a very divisive thing. <laughs> Speaking of divisive stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so today we'll be taking a look at the highly anticipated, somewhat divisive, little bit convoluted Justice League, um, the Snyder Cut. Oh, man, I prepped for the 2017 Justice League. Dude, we talked about this. This is The 2017 <laughs> one is, like, out right now, okay? This, nobody's looking at that. <laughs> I'm excited for this. I'm so excited, I want to skip the news and just get right to it. You sure? Can we, can we do that? Um, Unless you have anything pressing. I have nothing, honestly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have nothing, but I'm, I'm excited to get into our four-hour podcast here. Because, I mean, how else are you going to cover a four-hour movie if not spend four hours? And maybe yeah. one of those hours is going to be needless. But Yeah, if Snyder got a, a four-hour cut, Emmett and Ivan are taking a four-hour cut as well. And you better believe there's going to be some chanting music <laughs> and a lot of .25. You know what? One thing before we get started, though... Uh, something just kind of randomly on my mind here, but like, is there a cut of any movie that you would like to get four hours of? Mm, put me on the spot here. I don't think so. It's just too long of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought about it for myself for a while, and I'm like, I don't know how, like, what movie that I really enjoy that I can justify four hours of. Maybe Endgame? Oh, you're staying in the genre. I was going to go completely opposite and go with, like, Give me, like, the big Lebowski a few more hours and just get more bowling scenes in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me what happened the day before the incident and the day after. I, I could I could watch a four-hour cut of Big Lebowski. Or, you know what, even maybe more of a cult classic hit at this point, give me a four-hour cut of the Lizzie McGuire movie. <laughs> <laughs> you could say Disaster Artist. <laughs> but okay uh good choices for you i like it <laughs> i'm just a big hillary duff fan you know yeah fin I, fin yeah fin he wasn't fingers crossed that reboot actually happens and her career takes off again so fingers crossed come back hillary so let's do uh let's do spoiler free thoughts for the people that haven't seen it that uh just wanted to get a quick take on the movie before uh, we jump into talking about scenes and maybe some comparisons or characters. Do you want to kick us off on uh, spoiler-free? I don't want to kick them. <laughs> yeah. I go first. Yeah, actually, yeah, you you go first. I feel like I have, I'm going to have a lot to say. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, personally, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, I probably put it in the, like, B, maybe B-minus category. It's just that the four-hour runtime is daunting for sure. Uh, I think a lot of scenes and plot points definitely improved and benefited from getting that four-hour time to, you know, be fully fleshed out. But, uh, and, and like, the final fight at the end definitely felt earned this time. It wasn't rushed into. 
Uh, and I think the general vibe of this movie is right in line with what DC represents or has always represented from like the comic books and from the from like the comic series uh, back in the day. But I I don't think I can put this like categorize this as a must watch for the casual fan, just because it is such a big time commitment and it's it is different enough from the original weeding cut. But I don't know if it's different enough so yeah i don't know if i can recommend it if you are if you still are like intrigued by the trailers which i thought were pretty on the nose for what they advertised to what we got i would say go for it maybe parcel it out and watch it in the they, they divide it into six different chapters maybe take a couple a night or something like that i i've recommended just cut out the first 15 minutes and then be liberal with the fast forward function on your remote uh as you see fit and you'll know which times they are to fast forward <laughs> On a similar wavelength to you, I feel like this was a solid entry, a much better movie than the last cut. That said, I feel like any hardcore DC fan is going to find this lengthier cut to be a lot more enjoyable than like a casual fan. And I I also recommend maybe using those title card moments to take a break and maybe use it as a little bit of an intermission. I feel like overall there's a solid three hours, a three hour cut of this movie that would probably have gone a lot better over. Yeah. And... I do like looking back on like the original release strategy for this uh, for this movie. Originally, they said it was going to be one hour uh, episodes, like treating it almost like a miniseries for a bit. I'm glad they ended up not going that route because I feel like the pacing is just not there to justify that. You know, I, I overall, I think it was a much better movie than what we got back in 2017. I think there's a lot here to really dissect, but I have to I have to think that. As a movie itself, you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it if you have been enjoying the DCEU up to this point. If you haven't been, this isn't really going to change your mind. While I feel like there's some somewhat of an evolution to it, so some people may look at it with more positive tone, I feel like overall this movie is an improvement, but it may, may not be worth the full four hours for somebody who's only casually interested in it. Uh, for anybody who's really into the comics, really into the lore itself, uh, you, you know, strap yourself in for a, for a good, decent ride here. I do also think that there's maybe a, that initial half hour might be a bit jarring to get through. Uh, maybe load yourself up with some snacks, something, because <laughs> I feel like yeah. there are sequences here, and we'll get into it later on. But I just feel like there's it, this movie has pacing issues that you know are very traditional of Scott uh, Zack Snyder's stuff. Uh, in the past so if you're a big fan of his work if you've enjoyed the dceu up to this point this is going to be a solid movie for you if you haven't um and th- this isn't something that's going to completely change your mind although i do think that you'll still find something to enjoy uh, in this movie at least a lot more than the 2017 version i totally agree i think this is meant more for the hardcore fan who wanted justice for snyder and also wanted to get you know, better plot development and just get to see their heroes in a different presentation format but for the casual fan, I don't know if it's entirely worth it or maybe just piece it out. It definitely is set up to do that. I was also grading it with that B, B minus grade on a curve for <laughs> for comic book genre. Uh, if this like just compared to like real movies, if it was like a Rotten Tomatoes type score, it's definitely like low 70s, high 60s. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I was surprised, though, to see that this is the movie that delivers uh, Zack Snyder. I keep trying to call him Scott Snyder. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's his it, brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> his lesser-known brother. Uh, but this is Zack Snyder's highest-rated movie 
on Rotten Tomatoes with with a 78 as of last night. It could have changed a little bit over the last, uh, but it was shifting between 75 and 78 the last couple of days. You know, I was kind of surprised because I feel like I, I expected a positive reaction from the audience. But from a critic standpoint, it almost feels like there's this bias against DC. I don't know if you get the undertone too, but like I, I read through some of the positive and negative reviews after I saw the movie myself. And I feel like a lot of the negative, like overtly negative reviews for this movie, it feels like it's people that went into it wanting to hate it yeah. <laughs> or they're just complaining strictly about the length of time. And I feel like while that's, you know, I feel the length of time criticizing that is fair. It's also like that doesn't necessarily mean that what you saw was a bad movie based on the length of time. You you could enjoy aspects of it and kind of get a little bit more detailed on that. But. It, it seems like there's people that are just not willing yeah, to give that, it a shot. That's probably also like the entrenched MCU fans that are like, it's MCU or bust that like DC is inferior to Marvel, um, which I don't think is true. And I think you and I are able to separate the two. We can compare it for fun or just on our personal list, but we wouldn't say like, this is bad because it's not as good as Endgame or something like that. Right. All right, so I think that's good for spoiler-free. I uh, hope you take away something there. If, if you haven't seen it, uh, if it if you do decide to see it and you want to talk to us, uh, definitely reach out to us on Twitter about that. But for this episode, we're going to uh, break it into three segments because it's daunting to talk about a four-hour podcast or a four-hour movie. So we're going to try and keep it to our usual hour. <laughs> uh, so our opening segment is going to be uh, just general thoughts on the movie, Comparison-free, not talking about it in terms of the original Whedon cut or the rest of DC or, or anything like that. Um, so how do you think, Ivan, this movie stands or th- does it work on its own? I think it does. But I feel like more than anything, like as a standalone movie, it, it, there's enough there to kind of have it uh, you know, bear its own weight. At the same time, I feel like for anybody who saw Man of Steel and was excited to see the culmination of the efforts from that to Batman vs. Superman, especially if you saw that extended cut of that, uh, this is a nice reward for you to kind of see the uh, evolution of the character of Superman, of Batman, and get that whole little uh, character development piece there. I don't think that this is a movie that would have been completely. I guess as well received a couple years back, I feel like there was too much of a stigma uh, from the Batman versus Superman negative reaction. Uh, But I I do like to me, this movie and, you know, I I, I mentioned in uh, I I mentioned to you this a couple of days ago, but I feel like I've had a little bit of a time to reflect on Man of Steel on BVS and now this. And to me, it seems like a natural evolution of those movies. Um, And I see it now in the way that I feel like I didn't really view it back in those years. And I don't know if this is like COVID talking, you know, because we're in we're in a completely different era of time. We're also um, I feel like this movie and Zack Snyder's work on on the DC movies overall has benefited from time. I feel like time has been really kind to these movies. They've aged really well. And it could be the times that we're in that kind of speak a little bit more to the tone of this film. But I see such a really nice progression, especially like in Batman's character of going from like this overall cynic to being like the guy that has hope again. Uh, So there's something really nice in that messaging. 
and I feel like for me, I thought this was really good. Um, you know, I'll repeat this, and I think I'll keep repeating this throughout the, the podcast. But I feel like there's a solid three to three and a half hours of this movie that I think is really, really nice, really concise, and it works really well. There is footage that could have been cut <laughs> from from this movie, or just and sped think, up, <laughs> or or that too. But I I feel like I I can't really point fingers at one particular full piece i guess or like an act that i can say like this could be cut up even more from what no but it's, it's like shown. a couple minutes from each scene type of thing that would add up to like a half hour or 45 minutes or something like that i totally agree with you and yeah. i don't think that this would have been the cut that we would have gotten if released in 2017 which i, I think we can talk about next but just like just answering that question of does this movie work on its own I think it does because it's in that genre of blockbuster comic book genre, you know, tag team fighting movie. I think it works there. I don't think it works necessarily as a four hour movie, but if we got that three and a half, three hour movie, I think it would be perfect. And it would definitely be in contention of like top DC or in that mix of Marvel. But I think this movie is just such a victim of like what I'll I'll dub as like high school reunion syndrome where like Snyder is just trying to impress everybody with this and just put out everything that he has like on file. He even went back to shoot a few extra scenes to make it even longer. And like, I don't think you need to put it just because you shot something doesn't mean it has to exist in the movie. And I also think it's like, him trying to go to his his little like toolbox of of tricks too often like there's just too much slow mo there's a lot of wrong or odd music choices there wasn't that much humor in this one which I really liked from the weeding cut was DC is so dark you know not just lighting but also like the mood or the fighting but to lighten it up with a little bit of humor I mean there were still some moments in this that were pretty funny but. Uh, I think they took away some of the some of the good lines that that we didn't had in there. I will kind of counter that only to say that I feel like all the right pieces or not, I guess not right because it's very opinionated, but I feel like all the pieces of dialogue that were very like jokey that were kept here worked for me. And by yeah, that, I, I mean like, a couple more from like the original cut. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think, though, like which because I feel like. Like, for example, Batman being funny in that original cut did not work for me at all. Because it's like, like Aquaman it's... being funny when he sits on the. Yeah, I was about to say. Cruise. Like, that was a pretty funny scene. Like, and it would have given him a few more lines in this, which I feel like they really shafted him a little bit on this. It, most of like any scenes added on for him were relied on Mira or Falco. Yeah, I feel like Aquaman got the shorter end of the stick here. And I do, I do feel like the humor from him is missing here. For sure. Jason Momoa is a funny guy. And like, I don't, they didn't really use him that much. And I would have loved to see that because he's one of my favorites. And Aquaman's already a kind of a tough, tough sell to the crowd. But um, I think it he also, does such a great job with it. It also feels like the humor that was added in the Joss Whedon cut for him played off the, the, the kind of surfer bro Aquaman that we get in this movie you get yeah. what i mean like it went yeah. so well the, the the humor that they added on the weed and cut for batman didn't work because it just was off character for it and then the stuff that they added to the flash i thought just made it overtly too annoying i guess for, for me well uh, i like the flash humor 
I like they obviously give him the most lines, but it's because he's a kid and he's already like you're just being a teenager, you're already awkward enough that like you're not funny. <laughs> like it's all dry right. sarcasm that doesn't land. Like there there's so many good moments in this movie where he tries to like impress Diana with a joke and then he'll like linger his eyes over there to be like is she laughing or like is she, like did the impressor like those are great and i almost want more because it fits for his character you're it right it does, does not fit for batman and i think um who did we not get we didn't get too much of a of, of any humor from from diana's character either i feel like she although i'm trying to think back on the whedon cut i don't think we got much from her in that cut either in terms of like jokes or anything she would have said I don't think that much was added or removed for Diana in this movie. Yeah, I feel so. I think maybe this, a little bit more like girl power was added from the, for the like bank robber or whatever we call that scene. I think but, the dialogue for her was better in this cut because of I a couple too. things. I, I there is a whole um, and I think the Amazons overall. Like I know, I know, you know, not to get into too much of the weeds on it, but I know Joss Whedon's been called out recently for some of the more misogynistic things he's <laughs> he's done on set um, over over the years with his projects. But I know that there was an argument made. It's because we got Justice League the same at the end of the same year that we got Wonder Woman. And so people were off put by the way that the Amazons were represented or lack of representation, I guess, for them in the, the Whedon cut versus the earlier film during that year, which was Wonder Woman. And I feel like if you were to match Wonder Woman 1 to the Wonder Woman that we get from this cut, they match up really well. And the dialogue is flows so naturally. And I feel like that's maybe something that we that we didn't just kind of didn't get with that character. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it is him being misogynistic or not. And I'm not taking anything away from anyone who has that view. I I'm sure it's very difficult to decide where you cut things from to get it down to what was his like two and a half hours long of a movie. Yeah. And I'm sure that was like a time point where he was kind of forced into because it seemed like WB had a lot of um, ownership over what gets produced. So I don't know if it was like tough editing decisions or anything like that. But yeah, I do think that this movie, this edit uh, Snyder cut did a pretty good job of not like over sexualizing Wonder Woman and also getting to just show like how badass the Amazons are. The Amazons were also given more lengthier time with it. I know that people complained about their they being a little bit over sexualized in, in the original cut too. Um but and here I think you only you only really get that when when it comes to like the 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 I forget what you call it, the, the when they were tearing down the the pillars to bring down the the walls of the uh, Coliseum thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only shot I think that is very reminiscent to what they had before. But this is the, the Amazon sequence was basically that like was probably extended. just shot once. They, like, they probably didn't have that many uh, different he, angles or, or different ways they could edit that. He did reshoot a part of that sequence. Oh, did he? Yeah, to have them a bit more scantily clad in the in the original oh, cut. Yeah. Whedon did or yeah Whedon did okay oh, <laughs> yeah which is like I I like I said I didn't go back to take a look at it but I know like there's a lot of um reviewers pointing this out on on Rotten Tomatoes on the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator site I didn't you know I, I'm pretty sure 
uh, just given um, some of the some of the humor involving Wonder Woman in from from his original Wonder Woman uh, script. I know he worked on something years ago where he pitched something to WB and it got rejected. It wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him to to have done it. But anyway, I feel like this was a stronger rendition of the Amazons and and Wonder Woman overall. Playing out though, like this whole thing has been a very strange experience to kind of see right because between this movie and the recent sonic fiasco with the live action movie for for that franchise i feel like people are or the studios are starting to pay attention to when people complain i guess online or like say like hey we want this we don't want what you just dished out to us we want it (laughs) changed you're you're referencing the trailer for sonic that the original edit of the hedgehog was like it looked like a cartoon. It was really, really bad. And then it got a lot of bad feedback on uh, on like the comment sections. And then they re-edited it, it and it looked a lot better the second time. But they, I don't think they really addressed that they were making a change. It was sort of just like, did it always look like this? No, they did. They they made oh, they a did. whole they made a whole like post about it on on Twitter uh, about how they were going to go back to the drawing board and actually delayed the movie by about six months or so. But I mean, it's smart. Like if you, if we're living in a time where you can get such immediate feedback, why would you not want to produce something that like, if you haven't gone too deep into the rabbit hole of already like being done with editing and like, you don't have any budget left. I would understand that then if you pushed out like something that the fans weren't happy with, but if you have still have some time left and still have some runway left on, on your budget, Go back and fix it if you're, it's going to make a better product and it's going to make people happier. Yeah, I guess it's just the, the old attitude of, of Hollywood was to not really pay mind to to public outrage or public outcry for these things. So we're I think we're living in a time when that's changed only because I feel like we, we have a more open direct-to-consumer market now than we did before. Uh, well, it's also like back, back in the day, it was so hard to get a huge poll of people but it also it is like take all of the complaints or anything with a grain of salt because people are gonna who are not happy are gonna be ten times louder than the people who are happy about something. It's true, and I gotta not not to kind of segue too much out of this realm, right? But I feel like it's an interesting point to kind of bring up, right? Because I feel like more often than not now, the chatter online translates to an increase or a lack of dollars at the box office or at least it did in a pre-covid world right um and well today i think if we were to equate it it'd be to subscription numbers because uh, hbo max got a huge boost over getting the snyder cut on on its platform i don't know if uh, you can 100 percent attribute it to that though well here, here's here's my i guess case study for this right because when and, and i bring up solo uh, because Solo was released about six months after The Last Jedi. People were not happy <laughs> with The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah, and so, I love that movie. <laughs> initially, you know, but The Last Jedi, there's no denying that it made over a billion dollars. Right. Right? It was a big hit at the box office, but if you if you look at the box office numbers, as the weeks went on, you didn't see the same strength and legs that um, the Force Awakens had. And so as weeks went on and more and more negative reaction on social media came in, those ticket sales dropped a lot more than they anticipated them to drop. Because I think the average is like you expect about a 40% drop on week two. 
from week one, obviously, because everybody who wants to see it will probably go see it week one. Right. Um, but Last Jedi, I think the drop was about 60%, and it kept going like that. Uh, so it hit the billion dollar in the first week, but then after that, it just dropped dramatically and never made it close to what The Force Awakens made. So anyway, take that and that negative reaction. People were very vocal about how they didn't like what they just did to the Star Wars franchise. So much so that when Solo was released six months later, not a lot of people went and saw that movie. Um, as a matter of fact, I think they th- there was an article from Variety a couple months ago about how Solo had this like rejuvenation when they finally released it on on Disney Plus because people were finally watching it and they were going back and realizing it was a good movie. But because they were so outraged at that time, they did not go to see the movie because they thought, you know what, Lucasfilm messed up. They're probably going to mess this up. We we didn't even ask for this movie. <laughs> and so I feel like there is a case to be made in terms of nowadays social media chatter, whether negative or positive, has a direct correlation on how much money you're going to get at the box office. And they're finally kind of realizing that and coming to terms with it. Yeah, and I think this is a great segue into the, our second question of this of this segment is, what if we got this movie in 2017 and we didn't get that we didn't cut. And I think that's a great point that you make that people were kind of outraged with last Jedi and didn't really take stock or, or notice that solo came out. I mean, it still did well, but I think that might apply here as well because people were pretty upset with uh, Batman vs Superman because that can't get fixed. <laughs> even with that <laughs> three hour extended cut, it's a little bit better, but it's not great. Um, and I think that would be the same mindset is like you just screwed up like you had a, a great opening with Man of Steel and you kind of ruined it with Batman vs Superman. I don't really know if I want to commit to this trilogy or this um, this universe that you're trying to build here uh, with yeah. with Justice League. I I agree. I feel like we probably would have. I think the the reaction would have been better than what we got in 2017, but I don't think it would have been significantly better. I think it would have been one of those things where people are like, oh, we're, we're going in the right direction, but I'm just not quite, like, I don't know how many people would listen to that message at that point. Cause you're right. There, there was this stigma to BBS that didn't, didn't go away. It was this whole thing of like, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like this cut of this movie has the benefit of hindsight right. in its favor. Yeah. And it also has the, like I said, like I recently watched that three-hour cut of Batman vs Superman. I thought it was a much better movie than I remember yeah. it. But I also kind of feel like it's it's a product of the times. Uh, and you know, again, not wanting to mesh too much into it, but like it almost seems like. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, or jump in if you feel like I'm I'm going on too much of a tangent here, but well, we're long past that. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're. I feel like when you watch a Marvel movie, it's it very much feels timely. It's very thematic to what's going on in the world at the moment, and also what kind of speaks to the characters individually. And I feel like with 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 this particular version of the DC universe, it doesn't do either of that. What it does is it takes a particular director's vision of that character. And even though that vision of the character doesn't speak to the source material that much, it's still an intriguing story. It just doesn't match what you're expecting because it's not necessarily aligned with the source material. At the same time, 
they tried to he he tried to tell the story that now i think in a very social and political way is very relevant to today where it wasn't so much that it was we were kind of at the cusp of that a couple of years ago and so there's not that much of an appreciation for this particular rendition of it it almost reminds me of cult classic movies uh like like dawn of the dead like you know and i'm, I'm like thinking back to some of those classic movies, like even Empire Strikes Back, when it was released, it was received negatively on the critical standpoint. But fast forward to today, people love it. And I feel like we, we're kind of seeing something like that with Snyder's movies. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I feel like that, that that's kind of my hot take on yeah, this situation. A, that's a lot to digest and respond to. <laughs> but I think if I can sum up my thoughts of, off of what you said is that I don't know if I really care if the DC's not plugged in because I think you're right. I think Marvel was really good at reading the room and reading what society is talking about or reading what you know modern technology is and not trying to exceed past it too much. I think they're past that now. I think Phase 4 has really launched them into the future kind of thing. Uh, so I think they're off of that. But I don't really care if, if the DC universe doesn't really adhere to what is society talking about? Cause it's almost like they're just turning a comic book into a movie. It feels like it's not a one-to-one of a comic book. I know that, but it, it has that feel of like quick progressions and then like a little bit of character development. It, and I kind of like that, like it for that. I just, I just don't think if I got this movie in 2017, either this four hour movie or a, a trimmed down three hour version I don't think this would have stuck out to me because I don't want to compare it to these, but this is the same year that we got Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, and Black Panther. This is a very tough crowd of movies in this genre to stick out against. So I think, you know, coming off of a bad Batman vs. Superman and then having to compete with these other titans of Marvel, it's very easy to get lost and underappreciated. Yeah, it, in terms of DC, it would have been coming off of Wonder Woman, too, which I feel like would have given it a little bit of a surge. But you're right. I don't think it could surpass the anticipation for the other films. And I feel like this we got Spider-Man Homecoming in the same cut. We would have gotten it around the same time, too. Like, I want to say this was like an August to early fall release, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't 100% remember that. But either way, like, if it's close or far, it's like these are very great Marvel movies. And you would have to compare it to those because it's of the same year. Not to mention the last nine years that Marvel had been dominating the scene of this genre. Like, it's right. very it's very difficult to be like, no, oh, this would have this would have stuck out. Um, and I think you also hit the nail on the head by saying this has the benefit of hindsight because this movie's so much more appreciated because everyone knows the horror story of Zack Snyder uh, being kicked off the project. So this is more of a like, yeah, go get them, go show them. And also comparing it to what was like, even if you try and not compare it to the weeding cut, you, you know, subconsciously will. So it has the benefit of being like, this is better than that first movie. And I want Snyder to succeed. And this was a project that was basically Warner Media going to not, not even Warner Brothers, but Warner Media, the parent company going in and being like, here, have like do whatever you want to do here's 70 million dollars go complete what you wanted to do versus the scenario back then and you referenced this earlier but i'm pretty sure they gave 
Joss Whedon a hard, like, hey, no matter what you do, it can't be more than two hours long. And so I got to think that there were there was that rush to trim it all the way down. In hindsight, what I don't understand is the additional footage that was shot or the reason why we even had, what did they call it, mustache gate at that point, which was the, the, the <laughs> removed mustache from Henry Cavill. Like, why even bring yeah. them back? You had enough footage to work with. I just don't understand that yeah. whole thing. But yeah, I, I agree. I feel like w- this movie would not have had the legs that it has today back then. So in a way, this was almost like a blessing in disguise for for Zack Snyder to be able to be given this opportunity now, even though I'm pretty sure it was killing him that his vision wasn't realized back then. Right. Um, Any sooner, it wouldn't have been fully appreciated by the fans of like, I think fans would be more confused and any later than right now, it almost feels like it's lost. It would have lost steam. So like this feels like a perfect time for it. Uh, And that might just be like the, you know, the COVID time speaking of lack of blockbusters, but it just feels like this came out at a right time for it. That's also a good point, too, because, like, I don't think I would have been in the right mindset, even if, like, take COVID away from the situation, right? And let's say movie theaters are open, every, everything's, like, at normal capacity. If they would have brought in the Snyder Cut at that point, first of all, I don't think that would have happened without the COVID scenario. But also, even if it did, I feel like I would not have the time to give this movie four hours of my time. I feel yeah. like I would be a lot more dismissive of it. And that's not a knock on Zack Snyder. It's just, you know, I'm sure you can make a great movie with four hours, but I I feel like I wouldn't have given it a second look. Again, right. not knocking it. It's just like it's it's a heavy commitment. Right. If we were allowed to be out doing our normal stuff of like hanging out with friends or going out to events or whatever, it's very hard to be like, oh, I'll spend a, four hours on one weekend watching a movie. Whereas now where it's like, oh, it's kind of difficult to go places still. So... I guess a four-hour movie kind of fills the time on this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that I think that's uh, perfectly said. Uh, I think that's good for segment one. Do you want to jump into segment two of our cast here? Yeah. Let's... So let's compare this cut to the Whedon cut, which I think we got into a little bit before, but uh, don't tell anybody because <laughs> now we're <laughs> going to talk about specific scenes that either were improved or like improve the plot or kind of worsen the pop, uh, plot a little bit. And then we'll talk a little bit about characters that uh, we think benefited from this extended cut. Let's talk about Steppenwolf's mom just <laughs> to kick <laughs> things off. I know we didn't like plan for it here, but I feel like impromptu. Um, um, Steppenwolf. So <laughs> um I wouldn't say it's a major upgrade for him, right? I, I feel like it, it. It is definitely an upgrade. I feel like his um. His motivations are a lot clearer, and I think he's he's more of a tragic, almost kind of pathetic character in this movie, like he was in the previous one, right? But the the element the element of tragedy isn't there, and what I mean by that, it just it sounds like a guy trying to make amends, um, trying to satisfy his nephew. Which, uh, that's the dynamic that's not... But yeah, what is the relationship between Darkseid? Because they said that he was family, but then they didn't say how. And yeah, I'm not a huge book fan, so I don't really know. He's uh, Darkseid's uh, uncle. His, his treacherous so, uncle. So then Darkseid, if I know my history right, which I almost certainly don't, but Darkseid killed his father, who was like the king, quote-unquote, which would be Steppenwolf's father. Brother. Brother. 
Yeah. Yep. That would have been the dynamic. And then I guess at some point... Steppenwolf, in, in... man up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this, you're trying to get nice with your nephew who killed your brother? What? Well, in the majority of the of the canon, that's he eventually tries to betray him. But everybody on that planet tries to betray each other. Even down to Granny Goodness, who oddly enough shows up in this cut. So, <laughs> um, I, I disagree, though. I think... Well, I disagree with what you initially said and then agree with you what you secondly said. I think he did get an upgrade from a visual perspective, for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he looks a lot better in this cut. Oh, okay. Maybe I was mishearing you then. So, we agree on that. He's... His roid regimen is benefited him a lot. Uh, and also, like, the suit of armor was more interactive. Um, the voice was a lot better. So I think, like, visually, audio, like the audio on him was a lot better off. And I do think that he was... He lacked motivation for why he was doing it in the weeding cut. And now we get it here uh, without spending, like, way too much time on him. Because ultimately we know he's going to lose... So there's no reason to, like, fully flesh out his backstory or his character. But they did enough that you could be like, I don't know, do I feel bad for this guy? <laughs> he's trying to, like, destroy our world, but I, he's just, like, lost in the world because he's, like, like an outcast from his planet. They gave him puppy dog eyes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because he has this, like, struggle dynamic of, like, wanting to be a leader among his parademons. But then also being like, I just want to be a follower to Darkseid. It's kind of relatable to in the, in the sense that he just wants to go home. That's literally his motivation for doing all this. Right. He's not an excessively cruel bad guy. Um, nor was he in the original one either, the original cut. But like, I feel like over here, he has more of a motivation. His his um his. I guess his his allegiance to Darkseid is a lot more clearer, whereas in the original cut he literally he's referenced only once. Um, but and it seems like he just seems like the character that they're they're sending off to do the grunt work, and they have like no respect for him, <laughs> as is evidenced by his FaceTime chats with Desad. Yeah, I think his fights are very interesting because it seems like he could have killed all the Amazons <laughs> in that first fight. If yeah. he brought a couple more parademons with him. And then I think he also would have... He could have killed Aquaman and Mira easily. And then if he really wanted to, he could have killed Cyborg when he was taking the humans box. Before, like, Flash and the rest arrive. Um, so it's very... Like, he is... Like, he doesn't almost want to get his hands dirty. Or, like, dirtier than they have to be. Because he knows, he knows, like, the mother boxes will just do it all for him. Yeah, it's like an it's like an instant snap, but only on on Earth and completely killing everybody once you combine and form the unity. Which, by the way, I'm so glad they took away that subplot of like the the mother being inside of the mother boxes or whatever the heck was actually going on with that original cut. Yeah, they did. So for this, it was just like the unity between the three boxes would terraform mm. the Earth. You might want to re-rewatch it, because he has conversations with the boxes. Yes, because they're living life forms, but they're not. Like, in the original Whedon cut, they allude to the fact that it's just one entity or being inside of it. Whereas here, it's... Well, then re-watch it again, still, though, because there's, like, 
when Cyborg is inside the boxes and like the family, like his family is there and they're playing on his weakness of like, we could be reunited if you just let this happen. And then he breaks them apart. There's three like witch looking mothers that he's separating. Yeah, they're AIs. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think they fully got away from it because they're still calling it mother boxes and then still have some sort of like a female figure representation inside the box. In the, but they tied it down to the, so in the, in the comics, each one of these mother boxes is a living thing. It's like a living AI, basically, like picture vision inside of these boxes. Um, but in the original cut, they assumed it to be like the, the three boxes formed that one entity, whereas here it's an individual entity per box. Okay, maybe I need to watch the original then, which I'm not going to. But <laughs> I'll take your word for that there. Uh, but no, I liked what they did with the boxes in this one. I don't know if that's what you're saying at all, but I yeah. thought they did good having them each have their own, like, uh, not personality, but, like, being able to stay asleep because they fear calling Steppenwolf or whoever while Superman's still alive or activating themselves to bring in reinforcements when the time is right. I like that aspect of it. Yeah, they got into the fact that they were probably afraid of Superman and didn't wake up until they heard him wail. For five the, minutes. For five minutes. <laughs> that, that, that seemed like 15 minutes, to be honest with you. It does, um, but because the next 10 minutes after that were really, really slow. So that's why I came to the conclusion of skip the first 15 minutes. It makes me <laughs> wonder, though, like, why did they not activate before Superman arrived on Earth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, maybe it was like too soon. <laughs> maybe Wonder Woman was active back then. Maybe well, we got like the Zeus and whoever would still be active for years after the boxes arrived. So they probably were like, it's too soon. If we just lost this fight, we're not going to win the next fight. So maybe the like, gap between when Ares and them finished off their fight in Wonder Woman, what would that be like, 19? 19- 10 or something like that, right? Yeah, 1912-ish. I don't, yeah. I don't really know my World War One timelines. <laughs> I was hoping you did, because I didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, so between that time bit and then when Superman arrives in, what, the 70s or something like that? Yeah, or, or it could just simply be that, like, because we, from the extended version of Batman vs. Superman, it ends with um, when they were arresting Lex Luthor on the ship. You see that little holographic looking thing of steppenwolf with the three boxes yeah it could just be that whatever lex luther did on that ship is what awakened the boxes yeah um that's a nice tangent we got on there let's get back to the point of the segment of (laughs) new scenes that were added to this movie um or the removal of old scenes that ultimately improved it do you have any that really stuck out to you not in any specific order the fight between the justice league and superman when they brought him back to life. Did you think that was different enough? It was different enough to to kind of warrant, at least to me, like, th- th- we had the removal of the Batman jokes, right? We had the removal that, like, uh, in this cut, Batman didn't even think to bring Lois Lane. Versus yeah, that was, I liked was, that part, for sure. Yeah, because, like, it just kind of exemplifies the fact that, like, he, as, as smart as he is, he doesn't understand, he's not human enough, I guess, to understand the whole connection between Lois and, and Clark. Well, he's never also... This Batman we haven't seen really share love other than his parents and one 
one bit of dialogue was that he that was the people he lost that he loved. Yeah. But he never like shared a romantic relationship with anyone, so he wouldn't think to think that way. Right. And everyone he cares about is dead. So All right, dang. As is repeated <laughs> throughout the whole movie though. <laughs> okay, I like that I like that one. I definitely liked why Lois was there as opposed to Alfred Bringer. Um, I think the biggest Maybe the second biggest scene for me, but sticking in that time bit, the actual resurrection bit, bit of Superman from infiltrating the ship. The plan to get inside was different than or like was more flushed out than it was in the weeding cut. Uh, the interaction between Cyborg and his father in the hallway where they exchange that look of like, I see what you're doing. Let me let me get out of your way here and make sure everyone else is. And then including the bit where Cyborg gets, like, a glimpse at the future. And then he's like, oh, wait, we shouldn't do this. And then Flash goes ahead and does it. And we actually get a little bit of time turning there. Right. Which I had to, like, double take for a little bit. And I was like, why didn't Cyborg say anything about that vision? But because Flash went back in time, that technically erased that sequence from happening. And I think, he like, Flash moved too fast for Cyborg to say stop. Right. That Yeah. I like the way that whole thing played out, too, because I feel like in the Whedon cut, it almost unnecessarily puts them against each other, particularly Wonder Woman and, and, and Batman. And I just felt like a little bit weird and like not on par with what we had seen up to that point with uh, with BBS. I feel that the whole sequence played out a lot better. There was like unneeded conflict, I think, in, in the Whedon cut, whether to resurrect Superman or not. I feel like everybody was kind of on the same page in this cut. For the most part, except for Aquaman, who made some really valid points, to be totally honest with you. For the most part, it seemed like the, the scene played out a little a bit more seamlessly versus the way it was treated in, in the Joss Whedon version. Yeah, so I think this is the major part that really benefited the whole bit of going through the resurrection and then actually the fight after the resurrection, for sure. The cyborg stuff, for me, I think was the biggest mm. addition. Yeah. Because for, especially... And this might seem like a little bit of a throwaway scene, right? But like I was I was kind of appalled a little bit <laughs> by the fact that we had all this character development for Cyborg just completely taken away. So all the stuff that was added for him in this cut was really good from the scene of him helping that um, single mom. The, the description of his powers are a lot more well understood yes. in this movie. Uh, and arguably he might be the most earthly powerful of the heroes there in terms of like ma- like manage like being able to alter power economically <laughs> that's huge <laughs> yeah and also like maybe him and aquaman are on the same level but just being like connected to humanity i think he and he and aquaman are the most connected like he like he takes his power like he being cyborg uses his powers to help uh, a single mom who's struggling financially to, you know, get enough money to survive. But, like, you see people like Batman who has no, like, relationships, Superman who for a while was dead or is, very like, living in secret and struggles with, like, do I save everybody or is it, like, I have to pick and choose type of thing? Diana says herself that she walks away from humanity because she has lost faith since she lost her love. And then Flash is a kid who's, like, a little too young for that and really only cares about his his father. But, like, Cyborg is, like, aware enough to be, like, let me 
I, I have all this power, like you said, where I could launch nukes or I could manipulate the stock market or take like the grids off. Like he could do whatever, but he decides to like go to the, the micro level and help one person. Right. And I think it speaks a lot to his character, which was really nice and not something that we got at all. We didn't get any fleshing out of his character at all in the original version. So everything that was added for him, I feel like worked really well. And I can't really find anything to nitpick out of those scenes. Yeah, I think to sum up his addition would be, which is oddly enough, like oddly enough, hardly any bits of him acting, but his father's tape recording. Because right. it explains all of his powers, and then using that tape recording at the end makes you more emotional and like realize that's like his father really regretted how he like interacted with his son while his son was still, I guess, alive. I don't know what I don't know what to call him before he became the cyborg, but um, yeah, I think that tape recording really uh, moved cyborg's story forward. And it's very on theme. If you re- if you notice, um, Batman versus Superman was very much about um, the, the the connection between mother and sons, right? Like that was the whole thing that was played out between Bruce and and Clark with Batman and Superman's conflict. Um, and then in this movie, it's very themed on father and son bonds and connections. So you yes. got Barry with his son. I mean, Barry with his father, <laughs> Victor with his father. Then um, obviously you have that whole little segment with martian manhunter at the end referencing batman's parents and so you also get a probably my favorite scene is the hype scene where superman returns and he's like donning the black suit you get kevin costner and russell crowe's speeches from man of steel interwove together again another father-son relationships well actually two fathers and one son but uh yeah it was a huge theme in this movie that was so good too. That scene made me go back and rewatch Man of Steel after. I could watch that <laughs> clip pretty much every day. That that gets me hype when he's like, "All right, it's time to fly." <laughs> yeah, the black suit was a really nice addition oh, too. So good. Um, but in terms of like add or removed scenes, um, you listed it off here on our on our show notes. But like removing the family that was in yes. uh, by the reactors. Thank God, because <laughs> honestly, that was the worst part. Well, it was also bad because it's like, okay, if we're led to believe that there's people living in this radioactive city, um, because you're led to believe this is like a city that's right on the fallout of the, um, I'm forgetting what the nuclear reactor issue was in in Russia. It's like at the tip of my tongue, too. They made this whole HBO series about it. Chernobyl? (laughs) Chernobyl, yeah. Was it? I don't, okay. So I think this is just a made up reactor. Is it? Because yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I got to go back and check. I could have sworn that somebody dropped the the Chernobyl reference on there. Well, they but... just said that it was it was radioactive because then Flash made a joke about growing a third foot, and nobody laughed, which I loved that bit. <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes it, laughed when he's trying to be funny, which is the best part of Flash. It it was a it was a good um. It was a good choice to not include that stuff at all. But from my understanding, that was part of the reshoots that they did for for the movie. Because ultimately, too, like I know, I guess I I can kind of see what Joss was trying to do with that in terms of showing the super heroics of it, of like saving an actual family. But if we're led to believe that people live here, why just have Flash save literally one family? <laughs> you know, I like think that was to introduce a comedic element when he was compared to Superman, who could lift an entire building of people out. Um, but that's like 
that's altering a huge plot point just to get a laugh. Right, right. And we already see Flash saving multiple people when he saves people from the debris at the uh, Gotham Harbor fight earlier in the movie. In Whedon's cut, yeah. No, in, in this in this movie too. No, he doesn't save anyone in this movie. Yeah, he does. When when they're coming outside of the, they're getting the people outside of the the harbor. Yeah, he doesn't pick anyone up. He just runs, pats them on the shoulder, and says, "Are you good?" And no, then but he then, runs ahead and says, "This way." But there's that explosion where debris is coming down to hit them, and he uses super speed to get yeah, all. They the already made out. it out. <laughs> I'm still, not giving him any credit. He's this still. Is, this he's is still the scene that I'm putting in that made the plot worse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I disagree. I, I, I feel like that flowed a little bit better for me. Than... No, it was worse because he is new to being a superhero. So Batman had to be like, save one. And then in Whedon's Scott, he was like, save one. And then you'll know what to do once you've done that. And he did. And then like that's when he like took over the, the fight or flight feeling of superheroes of like, let me help more people. In this one, he just ran up and down the stairs running laps across people being like, why aren't you as fast as me? <laughs> and then, yes, he did save them at the end when they already had made their exit. But, like, I don't know. You see Cyborg carrying somebody out. You could you could maybe pick a few people up. Yeah, I guess that was a piece of dialogue that probably should have been kept from the original cut, too. The, the whole little speech between Batman. It's not and a major Batman. thing, but it's like a minute of interaction between Batman, yeah. who is, in this movie, made to be a team captain much more than he was in Whedon's cut. But... That that's a moment where he could have been a captain and right. they cut it. Right. He was a lot more suicidal in <laughs> in Whedon's cut, like the disgruntled old man that just wanted to get rid of his responsibility there. Yeah. I uh, I didn't mean to move on or <laughs> uh, say that your point was invalid, but I was passionate about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. But... Any last any last scenes for improving the plot? Um, Flash's role in the final fight, I thought, and I, I think this might be another point of contention. <laughs> I, you, you just wanted to set me off, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so, so like, moving back in time is a big part of the Flash's powers. Like, that's the whole Flashpoint storyline that's, you know, it's involved in a whole bunch of things. Like, you, you're not going to have a Flash story without some sort of, like, speed, speed force and time manipulation thing. Um, we barely got any of it in the Joss Whedon cut. And, you know, like I said before, like there was a particular sequence of him saving that family and like almost having like this mini competition with Superman uh, during that. And that's kind of the role that he played that and running into so many parent demons in this cut. He's running at the speed of light, <laughs> you know, around the city trying to give cyborg discharge. While I agree that I feel like, it probably you probably couldn't didn't have to focus too much on that sequence. Um, I do like the fact that you basically have him give them a do-over in terms of stopping the terraformation of Earth, stopping the unity basically uh, by reversing time, which he does so by entering the Speed Force and reversing what the last couple seconds of time that just happened, uh, which I thought was a much better moment because like when you think about it. In the original Joss Whedon cut, he saves one family versus here when he essentially ends up saving the world. Because if you look closely into that reversing of that explosion, even Superman was killed off by that explosion. Yeah, that was definitely a surprising moment. And I 100% agree with you that his ultimate end purpose in this fight is much more impactful than it was in Whedon's cut. I just didn't like that they basically you have a team of 
six. Superman's not there, so you really have a team of five, and you're using one of them to just run circles around, building up a charge when he could have just done it in like one lap, probably. <laughs> uh, so I don't. I think I'm more upset with the plan, and also like Cyborg not calling out like get to me sooner because yeah, there's enough time where he recovered after the fight with um like the sec that second fight with Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf, yeah. When he could have been called out for help or called out for the charge, but then like, and we kept getting so many moments of Flash, and that's why I say there was enough time because Flash kept going, I can't hold it, I can't hold it, I can't hold it, and like they never called for him. Right. I I feel like everybody got a pretty good role to play in this final fight too, because like you got Wonder Except Woman, for Diana and though. Well, Wonder Woman and, and Aquaman were the 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 ones basically keeping Steppenwolf at bay for a large part of that fight because they're the only ones that could take a hit. Yeah, from but like the part that I didn't like that they used for Diana was that like Steppenwolf was like manipulating her way too easily, being like, "Your, your Amazons hardly put up any fight, and you could have been there to save them." And then she was like reverted be- to being like this, I don't know, like a schoolgirl, like oh, and then like let it like immediately got hit two times after he said <laughs> that, like. I don't know. She's she's way tougher than that. She is, but I feel like this version of Diana reminded me a lot more the first Wonder Woman movie version of her than the one that we just saw in the 1984 cut. Um, oh yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I I agree. It was a little off putting, um, but I do think that overall every member had a good role to play. Like even even Batman who. In the in the Joss Whedon cut was almost like he was fighting off the parademons, but you never got any sort of glimpse as to him doing anything else efficient. And over here, he's taking over the turrets. He's like um, blowing up more of the parademons, going up the up the uh, what you call it, the tower to to get rid of as many of these checkpoints as he can, so that nobody's shooting at the Flash. So he he has a, a lot more of a role to play. He seems a lot busier here than he did in the in the Joss Whedon cut. And then, obviously, Cyborg was the main focus of this fight because he's trying to hack into the Unity. Um, and then Aquaman also working together side by side with Wonder Woman to 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 hold off Steppenwolf. And also, surprisingly, Superman has a bit of a reduced role. I feel like in this in this cut, his presence and tone is kind of felt throughout the whole movie. Yeah, he's felt throughout the movie, and he does have that reduced role in this fight. And I liked that because he was so much stronger than steppenwolf so if you brought him in right. earlier it would have been an easy win but it was also like he was he didn't show any restraint when fighting steppenwolf like i don't know he was <laughs> he had him down like pinned and already cut off one of his horns and he was still pounding at him instead of giving like maybe he could have supplied the charge for cyborg uh when flash was like injured but he was too distracted with getting hits in and then that's when like the dark side portal opened and so I, I thought it was like a different look at a superman than uh than we usually get a ruthless superman i, I think i liked it yeah i liked it too but i, I got to think that i guess for him it's kind of like living on earth is kind of like living in a cardboard world right like no matter what you do you're way too powerful for anything like how much control is he exhibiting maybe like he's like all right here finally i got i gotta have a guy that can take a punch like general zod so he went all out, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Superman's usually like the take prisoners type of guy. That's true. But I feel like the Zack Snyder version of Superman has always been a little bit like willing to 
at least go a little bit higher. I mean, we are talking about the same guy that snapped General Zod's neck at the end of Man of Steel. Oh, he's going to cut a family in half. Yeah, but still. <laughs> like That was the big debate back then was like, oh, Superman doesn't kill. But I'm like, uh, he had a pretty good reason to this time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Zod or the family. Um, any last scenes or good to move? No, I think I think that was that, that was kind of it in terms of like um, enhancements. I I I do got to say like th- this final fight to me was really really good and the whole sequence with um, beheading Steppenwolf and having that whole like boom tube th- sequence into the palace of uh, Darkseid. I thought that was really cool. Like that little thing yeah. of like bas- they ba- they're basically like um, recognizing each other's threat. Uh, so I and any sequence with Darkseid in this movie I thought was a really nice addition. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of sequences, but uh, I totally agree. And I also thought that beheading of Steppenwolf was that was the most shocking part because I didn't think they would go that far. But uh, I'm glad they did because it is DC, so they can be a little bit darker than what Marvel would do. This Wonder Woman wasn't playing any games. <laughs> no. And Where like, was this Wonder Woman in 1984? <laughs> and also, like, uh, Aquaman just stabbing him in the back. That was huge. Yeah. He had enough at that point. He's like, all right, that's it. <laughs> but that's also the thing, too, is, like, this movie, and I said it to you right after I finished watching, I was like, I almost want to go back and rewatch Aquaman. That's how good this movie made the rest of the series. Because it was, like... Now, some of the interactions with Mira made sense. I mean, yes, I don't know if she was lying or if it was just a plot inconsistency about her father dying in the wars. I don't really care about that. But I mean, like, when she shows up in Aquaman in the beginning and says, like, defeater of Steppenwolf, I always was like, how does she know? Like, she was not involved at all. But it's clear that they had, like, a, a little bit of a relationship here. Yeah, yeah, it was more fleshed out. And also her powers were really cool when she was, like, using it to basically bloodbend. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, she went Steph full Wolf. avatar. <laughs> she she probably could have finished him right there if it wasn't for those parademons. Yeah, it was pretty close. Uh, let's talk about scenes that, uh, either new scenes or old scenes that were added, old scenes that were removed, new scenes that were added, that maybe worsened the plot a little bit. I don't think there's a lot here, but one that stuck out to me... And I, I'll go with the one that I don't think we'll disagree on was when Aquaman saves the fisherman from the storm, and then chugs that bottle of whiskey as a a total badass. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the song choice here. They kind of ruined it. <laughs> I don't like the frame rate. It was way too slow. <laughs> I thought that was the same speed as the last one, though, wasn't it? It, it this felt like a more extended cut of that already slow slow motion shot from the original. But um, yeah, yeah, like even more than like the speed of this or the really, I think it was sl- it felt slower because they went with a slow song, whereas they went with like a like a, a beat almost like a dubstep type of song in the Whedon's cut. I think what was even that what really bothered me was in Whedon's cut, he saved the man from a parademon attack. Which gave him a reason to be like, uh, maybe I should go check out the mother boxes. This was just a sinking boat in the ocean. I got, I maybe I need to re rewatch it and look for the green slime. But was there any? No, I I, I recall the scene where the parademons are taking uh, Atlanteans outside out yeah. of the ocean. But I don't think that was connected to that at all. So I don't. Yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't remember anything. And he learned about that from Falco, which is great because it would give him like. Falco warned me about the mother boxes. 
And then I see this man, this fisherman was attacked by a parademon. Okay, now I need to go check this out. I, I, it's a small thing, and I'm nitpicking here because it's a pretty throwawayable scene. But um, I don't know. It, it's probably the song that really bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I'll chalk it up to he just had, like, he was trying to go check on Mira, see if she's done with her shift for the day. And I would. What, that's that's what prompted him to be like, oh, oh no, it seems like you're getting robbed. <laughs> uh, is there any other scenes that you were thinking about that were added or removed? Well, you brought you brought one up already, which was the the one from the line between Batman and Flash, where he's like basically like save one person, you'll know what to do after. Yeah. But aside from that, because um, I I missed that one. You brought up the Wonder Woman fighting the reactionary terrorist sequence. I really enjoyed the scene, but I also did not like the music choice, and I did not like the slow motion. <laughs> I, I think that's overused. Yeah, I think that scene really sh- demonstrated the overuse of that song that they kept going to, which I guess is a rewrite of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's theme. I don't know what was wrong with the original because the original was pretty good. The overuse of slow mo in fights that don't need it necessarily. I think you could have used it a little bit, but when you use slow mo too much, when you show us flash in slow mo. It loses its appeal. Yeah, I think there were moments that really justified it, like showcasing Flash's powers. You get you get the reason why, right? It's it's associated with him. But I guess my it's it's kind of a theme because Zack Snyder overuses it the same way that J.J. Abrams overuses lens flares. Well, look at three hundred, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I I I guess it's kind of his part of his motif there, which. I, I'm just very anti-slow motion. I feel like ever since, you know, damn the Matrix for introducing it. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, it's overplayed and overused. And I think that's my biggest technical complaint about this movie as a whole. Yeah, I'm not anti-slow-mo. I think there are definitely times and places for it to emphasize certain fights. But there is definitely a line when it's overused. And I think that line is closer to zero as opposed to the max amount (laughs) right so i think use it sparingly is the key there um but yeah i think the rest that we could pick out or would be really nitpicky i think most scenes improved the plot but that's the thing about having it be four hours is when you get more time you get to flesh out more characters you get to have uh better fights the the end fight feels more earned because everything before it really added towards it. Uh, so if this was cut down to three hours, then I'm sure there's going to be scenes where it was like, I wish they would have expanded a little bit more into this or something like that. But I, yeah. I, think, it's, I think it's small stuff. Can we talk about the epilogue for a little bit? I yeah, feel yeah. like that's... Um, I don't know how to feel about the epilogue. Because I feel like, on one hand, I, I, as a fan of all this stuff, enjoyed it. And as somebody who's played stuff like Injustice, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but... Um, I really like the, the the concept of evil Superman, which tune into the boys and the Homelander is the closest thing you get to it <laughs> right now. But I like those sequences. I also feel like it's just well, you're talking about the nightmare sequence because yeah, the epilogue was a little bit all over the place because the epilogue is the father twice over, so it's the heart heart uh, warming speech by Cyborg's father mixed in with all these like, where do the superheroes go after this? scenes and then it immediately goes to the nightmare sequence before it goes to lex it goes to lex before the nightmare stuff is what finishes off the movie but all of that is how 
Zack Snyder counts it as the epilogue, according to the interview he did with that. Um, right. I forgot what her name was, but yeah. So he's like the 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 stuff that works is all that stuff before the nightmare scene. I feel like that's really nice stuff. I, and I felt like the the monologue closing out the movie was better than Lois Lane's monologue from the end of the Joss Whedon cut. I have questions. Like uh, it looks like Clark is going around as Clark Kent. So did, did we forget that he's on the paper as being dead? Um, That's what I was going to say. <laughs> is, is he going by a new identity or is he like going to pretend that he just had moved at the same time and then didn't correct anyone? Bruce is rich enough to kind of give him some sort of like new identity of some sort, right? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. But but the nightmare stuff, the nightmare stuff was interesting. I thought it was really uh, a nice addition and a nice little sequel to what we saw in Batman vs Superman because we got a lot of that there. I felt like it was awkwardly put in, almost like a oh yeah right we forgot there's also this and that you kind of added on like almost as like a DLC kind of thing. Yeah, I think this would have been like a good end credit type of thing if it was like we got the normal three hour cut and then you throw this in at the after the credits to hype them up for a sequel movie. Cause it did feel out of place with those other scenes that they put in the epilogue. That being said though, I still really enjoyed it. Cause it's, it does open up so many questions of like, Ooh, where were they going to go with this? And will we get to see the, the, these future movies? The sequel was supposed to be fully set in that nightmare sequence. That would be pretty cool. I would like that. I would like it too. I know Zack Snyder has talked in length about his original ideas. Clearly, he deviated from some of it. Not to get into too much of it, but his original intention was to have Lois Lane revealed to be pregnant in this movie. They showed which the you, pregnancy test, but not they did. positive. Or... Yeah, they, we didn't get too into it, but his I intention... someone confirmed that she was. In the movie? Yeah, I thought it was... Um, what's her name? Amy, not Amy Adams. What, who, who plays Lois? Uh, yeah, Amy Adams. I always get the mix up. Uh, yeah, I thought she confirmed that she was like in an interview. I thought so. Maybe. I don't know. I got to look. I got to look and, and see. But I, I, his Zack Snyder's original intent was to have this three three movie saga where the second movie was going to be. Yeah, Zack Snyder confirmed it. He did. OK. All right. So there you go. <laughs> she's, she's pregnant in this cut, too, because it, it they don't say it. But at the very end in that epilogue, when. Uh, Bruce buys back the house through the bank. He says congratulations, by the way. And that could either be implied to the proposal because she accepted or because he found out about the pregnancy. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. I did because that was such a like it was kind of like low volume when they play. They were walking away and playing somber music over it. So, yeah. Okay. Subtitles, man. You got to watch with them. I know, right? (laughs) His original intention, though, was like this: the sequel is going to be set in the in the nightmare universe, and basically that was supposed to be the revelation that that was the original timeline. Like in the original timeline, they beat Steppenwolf, but Darkseid ended up coming through. Certain characters that aren't in that scene are dead, like Aquaman, like Wonder Woman, and um, we even got that little glimpse in the in Cyborg's vision of a charred-up Lois Lane. So Superman's holding her dead body as Darkseid kind of puts his hand on, on his shoulder. You're supposed to get the revelation that that wasn't a, a a like vision of a possible future. It was the future. Yeah. And so the whole thing was going to be them 
working to get Flash back in time to warn Bruce Wayne, which is would, would then explain the sequence you saw in Batman vs Superman. So I I kind of hope we get that at some point. Well, only time will tell at this point. Yeah, that would be really cool to see uh, played out. Uh, how about any? Let's try and keep this short because we've been running a little long on yeah. this. But how about any characters that benefited from the cut? I think to some degree, almost everybody benefited except for Aquaman because I feel like <laughs> as it usually is. Yeah, I feel like he he didn't really get too much added onto it. I I do think you're right. His humor being taken away, I feel like was a little bit of a. Yeah, I don't think he got know. worse, but I don't think he got better. Yeah, yeah, I think the the biggest winner of this though is Cyborg. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. He he definitely was the heart and soul of the movie. Um, I really liked the performance uh, by Ray Fisher. Yeah, he was really good, and I I'm surprised like because I didn't get to see that much of him in the first one that I, I thought he was not that involved. Yeah, and he he seemed like very aggravated and angry in the Joss Whedon cut, but you didn't get to see the full extent as to why. Right. And in this cut, you got the backstory of, of of his mom. You got the backstory of like the absent father, which you got, you know, implied. But it's always good to kind of see some of that relationship being fleshed out. And over here, he was just very much he goes through all like a roller coaster of, of, of conflict, which is great because that last line that he has when he splits the, the mother boxes apart where he says he's not broken. Yeah, that was great. Like, that was an earned moment, too. Right. Um, the Flash got a bigger role. I feel like they gave him that little scene where he saves um, Iris, who in the comics is his his love interest. The only reason why I know that's the, the character is because it's been said over the course of a couple of interviews. Oh, okay. um, and we got the extended time between him and his father, which I thought was always good. Like I feel like any fleshing out of the Flash is is good. Um, Batman. Uh, I think got a major upgrade <laughs> in this movie yeah, too. Yeah, I, th- I think second to Cyborg, I think Batman played the team captain role really well in this movie. Whereas last one, it seemed like uh, he shared that role with Diana a lot, uh, and Diana still played her part in recruiting Cyborg. But I think he had a good amount of moments with each one of the members where it made him the conclusive captain. Uh, and we saw him like struggle with it, Di- with it, uh, when Diana was like at the, I guess the Batcave, and they were looking at uh, footage of Aquaman, and then they both reach for the mouse, and it's like, oh wait, I'm sorry, because uh, it wasn't like a moment of love, it was moment or like a love interest type thing. It was more a moment of like relinquishing power because they're both so used to being the lead with solving cases or something like that. Uh, so he had one with Diana. He had a good, a really good moment with Aquaman in Iceland. He had it with Flash in the, in Flash's hideout, and then w- even with Cyborg, like just a small line. But like when Cyborg was saying that the troop transport wanted to fly, it was born for it, and then he's like, "So are you, man?" Like, <laughs> like giving him a little pep talk before he goes into battle. Yeah, uh, I thought he had like a nice role with each person. Right, and it and it seemed like this was a version of batman that was very much inspired by by superman and he this was him trying to do better and this was him keeping to his word um whereas the last the last version of that we saw of him was very much like kind of tired and like i kind of want to relinquish this stuff over to wonder woman because she's a much better team captain yeah um and we didn't get that here which was great because i feel like they were it, it set the the tone for the rest of the team 
Yeah, he's also been trending all of today. Uh, the day of, we're recording this on Monday, the 22nd. He, uh, like, people are ranking him versus Christian Bale versus um, Michael Keaton. And some people are putting, like, funny tweets out there. But, like, a lot of people have him right up there near the top. Uh, which is interesting to see because I think, you know, this one does redeem his performance in Batman and does validate the choice because I felt like in BVS he was too big <laughs> and he didn't feel like a Batman. But obviously, once all these movies play together, you get to see that uh, he wasn't the Batman of normal. He was a Batman of like acting out of fear. And now he's acting out of faith and he's like a different type of Batman. Um so I think he was probably the second most benefited from this. Yeah, I got to say, he might be up there in terms of, like, maybe my... I don't know, him and Christian Bale got a battle out in, in my head to, to see a lot the of people one. break it out as, like, Christian Bale's the better Bruce Wayne and Ben Affleck's the better Batman. A hundred percent. I don't know, because <laughs> I think even Ben Affleck did a pretty good uh, Bruce Wayne. I mean... We don't get to see him spend money and stuff like that, which I think Bale nailed. Like, that that persona of being the rich, dumb billionaire. Visually, too. I feel like all the Batsuits that we've gotten in the Snyder-verse mm-hmm. have been the best representations of the character. Like, yeah, this very, is, very comic book-like. I still go back to that warehouse scene in Batman vs. Superman, because I'm like, that's always <laughs> been my favorite part about that movie, because he's just, like, wailing on all these people. Yeah. No mercy. Um, and then Wonder Woman, I feel like gets um a bit of an upgrade too. She's a lot more proactive here. Um, she, do you have her delve a little bit deeper with the dark side plot? Um, even the elements that we got after, because it seems like, it seems like at the end of this movie, everybody has a little bit of a setup to what might come from the future. There is a direct setup with Aquaman, right? Because he gets on. He he says goodbye to Volko and to uh, mm-hmm. Mera, and he goes off and says he's going to go see his father, which leads right into the opening sequence of the Aquaman movie. Yep. Uh, Wonder Woman seems to be holding that arrow, contemplating, I guess, whether she's going back to Themyscira or not. I might be reading too much into that. No, that but... was exactly it, yeah. And then she Flash... Like, if this got through, maybe I can get back. Yeah. And then Flash, it looks like... Uh, I don't know what he's doing. He, <laughs> he got the job in the lab so he's on his way to become a csi so it it kind of set everybody up in terms of like maybe there's what i guess originally was supposed to be their spinoff movies um i felt like overall this was a much better rendition of the team and we didn't talk about superman all that much here i feel like we probably should a little bit but i feel like his presence was felt throughout i think he was very similar to his use it might even been less because when he came back he was the confused superman and then he went ran off with lois and then started remembering everything uh it was nice to see him like be kind of more at peace and and happier with coming back and being able to be like i'm not going to waste my second chance but when he came back into the fight he was kind of like the brutal superman that i think we both enjoyed watching yeah. So we didn't get a lot of um, acting out of him, but he was definitely bigger in um, like thoughts and conversations by all the other characters. And he didn't have a CGI lip, which was the biggest improvement. 
Yeah, there's definitely that as a big improvement. Uh, but I, I liked like how Alfred talked about him with uh, with Bruce when they had their time alone about talking about like the charging bull and all that. Um, because that's where Batman brought like the faith, acting out on faith instead of right reason. And I, I think their interaction was really good too. I'm gonna miss Jeremy Irons as Alfred if we don't get anything else in this universe. I thought he was perfect. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on it. Only because I like Michael Caine's so much. But yeah. it is it really is like Alfred's really defined by the relationship with Bruce. And both Christian Bale and Michael Caine play off each other really well. And so do um, Jeremy and Ben. It's that voice for Jeremy for me. Like, I, I feel like that voice is just so <laughs> um, like I kind of buy him as a former MI6 agent or somebody who who has seen. You know, who had like a little bit of a cool past. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of. Yeah. And I like how involved he is with like building the tech. Whereas Michael Caine was like, I'll bring you the, the tea. I'll bring you the tea, sir. Which, <laughs> which this Alfred did as well. But <laughs> he because uh, they had a whole scene devoted to how to make tea. Um, so he does notes. do that portion of it. But he is also building those gauntlets that Batman uses and fixing the flyer. Yeah, he seems to be more of like an engineer type um, alongside Bruce. Really, really quick. Closing thoughts on segment three. Now that we've compared to Weed and Cut and just looked at it on its own, are there, like, how does this stack up in the comic book genre of movies? So, like, all of Marvel, all of DC, all of Will Smith, (laughs) anyone who's got a hero movie. In terms of the overall DC, and I'm not just talking about the DCEU, I'm talking about like all everything, like the Christian yeah. Bale stuff, everything that came before. I think it's in my top five. Now that being said, I feel like I have a little bit of bias because, like, as a as a comic book reader, I tend to prefer the DC stuff over everything. So anytime we're we're acknowledging more of that lore, um, you you, you got me sold on it, you know. Uh, but I, I feel like for me, it definitely is top five, maybe even top three. I don't know quite where to place it at this moment. It It, it isn't the best DC movie, I, I feel like. But I think that there's enough here that it has almost like a rewatchability factor. You know, overall, I, I, I got to think that maybe in best summation, like somebody, uh, one of my friends texted me after they finished watching it and said, it feels like Zack Snyder was going for like the Lord of the Rings of comic book movies yeah and i feel like yeah i i can kind of see where that comes into play uh so for me like it's it's definitely up there it's just i wouldn't put it as the best thing out of dc as a whole but maybe one of the best if not the best of the dceu stuff we've gotten so far yeah i think it's probably right under man of steel as number two in the dceu i have to you know own up to it i don't really know the classic batmans that well I think I've only seen like the Keaton with um, the Catwoman and Danny DeVito. <laughs> no, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really know uh, Dr. Freeze that well or the old Bane. Uh, so I don't think I could do a fair ranking of the entire DC side. Oh, dude, you're missing out if you haven't seen George Clooney, Batman and the bat nipples. Like, come on. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you're you you you're you're completely unaware of that whole. So, the last two movies, the Van Val Kilmer movie and the George Clooney movie, uh, were directed by Joel Schumacher, 
who, for whatever reason, equated the bat suit to Greek god statues. So he made it explicitly clear that he wanted nipples on the bat suit. <laughs> and it's been the blunt of the joke for those movies for forever. But if you ever get a chance to watch those movies and you're wondering why Batman has nipples on his suit, now you know why. Now, see, here's the thing. I've always had the chance in this modern technology age that I could go back and watch, but it just choose not to <laughs> and I, it's best to stay away yeah. i don't think i will um but out of the ones i've seen like the christian bales and whatnot it's yeah I, it probably put it above the third christian bale one so maybe it ekes into the top five of of the bunch i've seen but not all of them um i have obviously seen all of the mcu and i have multiple times I, I liken it to like an age of ultron where it's a pretty good one right but it's also like kind of forgotten Avengers movie. <laughs> like you almost think uh, the third Captain America is an Avengers movie. Um, so I kind of put it on that level. Yeah, I, I agree with that ranking. I feel like there's it definitely, and I'm not going to say it pales in comparison to the Marvel stuff, right? But I feel like this feels like almost like an Avengers one kind of scenario, right? Like it, it's great. It's an it's a great epic for its franchise. It's just not quite there to kind of live up to some of the more recent stuff that marvel has done yeah i think it's more like ultron to me because it's i i do agree with that assessment where it it does it 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 fits in the in that in its respective universe like that but i think ultron sets up movies afterwards like with ragnarok hulk disappearing and with uh the new avengers team um but i think this does a really good job of making me want a new Justice League 2 movie or whatever they would call it, where we get to see that nightmare sequence played out. Give us more. <laughs> I hope this isn't the end of it, man. Um, I, I guess too. I think it, I think if you kept building on this and kept giving people individual stories, like if, if harkening back to our, if this came out in 2017, I bet the people that do go see it are demanding a cyborg movie they they are and you know i guess i guess we should we we can kind of start closing out our thoughts here right but i feel like um the conversation i brought this up um on maybe our pre-game episode for this but uh the the trends has been trending since it premiered and it hasn't stopped and there's people that are continually pushing, and I know there's some resistance from Warner Brothers Studio to to not do anything more with Zack Snyder. Uh, but I've been hearing, and I guess I'll drop this here because like I, I'm pretty sure at some point, if anything flushes out from this, it'll come through. But my I've been hearing rumblings that um, HBO Max, and so in this case Warner Media, is actually trying to get Zack Snyder on an exclusive deal with them. Uh, which is a little bit of a conflict for him because he's already signed on with Netflix uh, for exclusivity. So it kind of shows that, at least from from the top dog perspective, they want more. It just depends on whether Warner Brothers is going to accept it or not. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I feel like if it keeps trending the way that it is, we probably will see some sort of continuation of it. But you know, only time will tell. And um, I, I guess it all depends on how much, how many more views they're they're going to get in these uh, subsequent weeks. Wow, Ivan with the inside news, and you you did great with the numbers before too. I had to, I want to compliment that you you really knew your numbers. 
<laughs> when talking about the last Jedi and Solo. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really passionate about my box office number information. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know this was a much longer one's uh, podcast for us, but it, you try doing a four-hour movie into <laughs> an hour podcast. It's uh, not possible. We appreciate you listening. Hopefully, you were listening on like one and a half speed instead of one. Um, maybe it <laughs> saved you some time. Uh, but if you think we, you know, excluded any major parts of the movie or any comparisons to the Whedon cut or to the comic book movie genre at large, feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts on Twitter at BT fourth wall, uh, fourth being four TH. Yeah. Or, um, you know, let us know if you'd like us to release our full thoughts and we'll release an eight hour cut of this podcast. The Emmett and Ivan cut. Yeah. Fully extended. No need for another review. This is it. Eight hours of us talking. <laughs> and then they'll talk about sequels after that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.